Well, we've been talking about faith, and uh, we're going to be wrapping up this series next week, but uh, here's where we've been. We started talking about crazy faith depending on God in a big, risky way, and you see that in the Bible where Daniel gets thrown into a den of lions, and pretty risky, but he trusted in God anyway. And then we talked about maybe something a little bit more down to earth, something uh, more our speed, which is baby faith. Jesus said, you don't need huge amounts of faith. You just need a little bit of faith. And baby faith is just believing and taking God at his word. So if God says with his disciples, he said, you can, you have the, the authority from God to, to heal people and to cast out demons. And, and, and so just take him at his word and be able to do that. Um, maybe faith, believing that it might be God until it proves to be God. And so this is about things in our lives where we're really not sure. Is this what God wants me to do? I'm, I don't know. Maybe. And if you're 51% sure God wants you to do something, you need to step out and do it. And then see if it is God. And maybe it's not God. One of the examples I gave was even coming here as your pastor 16 years ago, looking into whether I should move my family here, quit my job. Wasn't absolutely sure this was the right thing but was over 51% sure and tried. And then, you get, you know, the congregation voted. That, that made me even more sure. And now I'm absolutely sure that was God. But at the time, I didn't. And then next week, Father's Day, I'm super psyched about this. We have some competitions. And uh, I'm going to beat all of y'all. No. No, I won't. But, um, but I'll try. And uh, so I'm excited, about, but we're going to talk about daily faith and uh, really important. But today, I'm going to talk about wavy faith. And what wavy faith is, it isn't like wavering faith, like, a may, like maybe I'll trust God, maybe I won't, inconsistent. Wavy faith is the kind of faith that steps out of a boat and walks on the waves. And we hear about this story, we can read about this story in Matthew chapter 14 um, with Jesus and his disciples. And here's the setup for what happens. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And so what's happened is Jesus just fed 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 10,000 plus people there, all got fed from just a few loaves and fishes, that, that little boy's lunchable, you know. And, and so amazing, miracle, exhausting time ministering to thousands of people. And the disciples went and gathered baskets full of leftovers. And, and so after that, he makes his, he says, why don't you go to the other side? And, and he, he goes over to pray. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. Some people think... Okay, so some people might describe this as Jesus got away for a little me time. And that's not the case. Jesus got away for a little God time. And uh, we live in a society where we have unusual uh, amounts of leisure time, and yet we are more fragile, you know, ragged and exhausted than maybe people ever have been. And, and I think some of it is this reason. I met, I met with uh, the pastor at Franklin Forks United Methodist Church and uh, the, the uh, Great Bend United Methodist Church. Pastor Ho is his name. He's from Korea. He's lived in the United States for about 15 or 16 years. But, and, he, and in the conversation, one of the things I asked him is, so what's different about America? And here's what he said. He said, American Christians, they don't read their Bible. He said, in Korea... 
we're taught every morning at 5 a.m., from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., you give your first, you give, you give the best and the first part of your day to God. And that reminded me when in 1991, when I went to the Philippines, and I was in this uh, village in rural Philippines at 5 a.m., and you might say, why are you up at 5 a.m.? Because of jet lag. <laughs> we stayed up really late, like 10 a.m. We were so stinking tired. We went to bed 4 a.m., bing, wide awake. And at 5 a.m., every morning, I heard bells chiming. And I asked one of the, the pastors there, one of the men, I said, what is that? 5 a.m. and these, it's like a church bell. He said, it is a church bell. It's a call to prayer. 5 a.m., you spend from 5 to 6 a.m. praying and reading God's word. And then 6 a.m., it's time to go to work. And, and so Pastor Ho, he was saying the same thing. He said, many Korean believers will lead, read through the Bible three to five times in their lifetime. And they read it slowly and carefully. And many of them will hand copy the entire Bible he says, sheets of paper, reams this big, and then when they're done, hand-copying the entire Bible in their own writing after 10 or 20 years, they'll bring that to the church, and they'll say, this, this is my offering. This, this represents the time I've given to God. And so this, this idea, and, and next week we're going to talk about it more, daily faith is so important because Jesus here is preparing by being alone with God. He's preparing to walk on, on situations and circumstances that other people were going to be drowning in. And there are trials coming in your lives, and you need to have that daily faith to prepare yourself and to be ready for that. And uh, it's just so important. So, so he went up, and he was there alone, preparing to stand on what others were drowning in. And so the, the passage goes on and says, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And so by this time, as you read the context, the, the disciples have been rowing for eight hours. And, and the, the wind is going the wrong way and they're a considerable distance from land. Sometimes you get, you get to a certain, and you're like, do I go back? Do I go forward? I'm almost too far forward to go back. What do you, and they're just... They're just exhausting themselves in this storm. And so, you know, in our lives, there's times where storms come up and adversities and when we face a headwind and when things are difficult. And sometimes you, you wonder, you know, why did God allow the storm in my life? And some of you are going through storms right now, physical storms, financial storms, relational storms. Why did God allow this in my life? And I'm here to tell you, God didn't allow it. It's worse than that. He actually sent you into it, just like he did with these disciples. And, and he sent you into it alone, right? At least that's what they think. You see, before this, we talked about last week, Jesus was in the boat with them at one time, and there was this terrible storm, and they thought they were going to die. We don't, they, they're not necessarily thinking they're going to die here. It's just, it's just you know, trouble. Um, but, but this terrible storm, they thought they were going to die, and Jesus had so exhausted himself, maybe from these all-night prayer sessions or whatever, he was asleep in the stern of the boat. And so they woke him up, and they're like, Jesus, don't you care if we die? And he's like, peace be still, and the storm ends just like that um, by his command. And so if Jesus was in the boat now, they'd be like, okay, when Jesus gets tired of this, it'll be over. Or maybe they're asking, about now, Jesus? <laughs> like... But now, could you say something to the wind, to the waves? Um, you know, because, I mean, I got blisters. I'm okay with blisters, Jesus. But, you know, you just have to say it. And, and, 
So he sent them without him on purpose so that I think, among other things, that they would realize that even when it seems like they're alone, that God, the Father, is always with them, that the Holy Spirit is always with them, and that they're not alone. And that they can be safe even if Jesus isn't physically with them in the boat. And God does that with, with trials and adversity, I think, in our lives as well. He sends us into trials, and we might feel like we're all alone. And where is God? And he abandoned me. I was thinking about the last year. Last summer is very different than this summer. Right? The coronavirus uh, at its peak, there was rioting in at least two dozen U.S. cities a year ago this last August. Portland, Atlanta, St. Louis, Seattle, New York City. This is a picture of Minneapolis. Chicago, Oakland, Denver, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Trenton, Atlantic City, Boston, Louisville, Bakersfield, Columbus, Dallas, Des Moines, Detroit, Los Angeles, Sacramento, Phoenix, San Jose, and others were all on fire. Some of them just for a few nights, others for months, month after month, riots, looting, breaking windows. You know, it's interesting, Martin Luther King Jr. never held a protest at night. Never. You know, th these are acts of violence by evil people. It was, a, it was a summer of hatred. It was a summer of chaos. It was a storm. And where was God in that storm? Why would he send America into that storm alone? Because he wanted to teach us something. Because he wanted us to understand, you know, when trials and adversity hit our life, what we usually want to do is row harder, <laughs> right? And then, and, then, and then maybe if you can't row anymore and you lose the paddle, then maybe you turn to God. Here's the question I want you to think about. What if the scene of your greatest storm is the setting for your greatest breakthrough? You know, because often in a storm, my goal and this is true even of, of how I pray for other people, and I don't apologize for praying this way, but I, I, I need to pray the second way as well. Um, but I pray for the, goal to be, for the storm to be over. Lord, take that cancer away and cure them completely. Lord, Lord fix this physical problem. Lord, answer this financial need. Lord, Lord solve this relational mess that I'm in. Right? My, my goal is for the storm to end, but God's goal is maybe for the storm to begin something in me and to change me. And that's what was happening in this situation. You see, you can either trust God now or row harder. And so it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And just a little background on this lake. It's the Sea of Galilee. It is a freshwater lake. It's called a sea, but I don't know why. But um, it is 13 miles long, 8 miles across, about 150 feet deep. And so there are some miracles in the Bible. There are some people, and many times they're like highly educated experts, um, and, and they will try to explain away the miracles of the Bible. And so like the feeding of the 5,000, they'll say, okay, so Jesus didn't really multiply all that food. What happened is they saw this little boy share his Lunchable, and then everybody else was like, oh, and they pulled out like gobs of food that they had been hiding under their cloak, you know, and then everybody got fed and, 
You, you know what? Here's the thing. You either believe the Bible or you don't. Okay, this in-between where you half believe what goes on. So what I've heard here, and this is a college thing by really smart people, they're like, well, actually, Jesus was walking on a sandbar. Okay, if there's a sandbar in a lake that's 8 miles across and 13 miles long, and, and that's 150 feet deep, that, that, the boat, that nobody ever knew of, and that the boat, and how did Jesus get to the sandbar? He swam a couple miles like that in the storm, and, and that the boat didn't hit the sand. If you believe all that, like, that's harder to believe than it was Jesus, that Jesus was God and he did a miracle. Like, either you believe it or the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales and lies. And you can believe the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales and lies. It's fine. But don't try this halfway. Jesus is a good teacher, but, you know, he's either a liar or a lunatic or he's the Lord. And this is either true or it's not true. It's, it's nothing in between. And, and so it says he's, he's coming out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. And again, this is a really long sandbar, okay, because they're seeing him so far away, they're not really even sure who it is. And like through the, maybe the rain or whatever, and they're like, what? And, and uh, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, do not be afraid and here's the thing about storms and trials in our lives. Adversity is chaotic, right? We don't know what's going on. It's, it's, it, there's, it's disruptive and, and all of that. Don't be so quick to label things in a trial, in, in a hardship. We're, we're quick to label things. COVID, good or bad, terrible. Here's something, and I, I don't want anyone to take this wrong online or here in person. I am so, and I've said this to Becky multiple times, I am so grateful I got COVID in January. So thankful to God. It's an incredible blessing. Obviously that I got it and recovered. That I got it and was really sick for three days, you know, like a flu. And then just took naps for the next two weeks. Until <laughs> I started feeling a little bit more strength. But... Um, but I'm so grateful. Why? Because then after January, when, when I came to church and, you know, you know, after I'd quarantined and all that, and people shook my hand or stuck out their hand to shake them, I felt no, like, yeah, I can shake your hand. I have the antibodies. I, I'm giving blood. Last time I gave blood, I have the antibodies. Next time I give blood, I'll just see. And, and just, just it's so grateful that, that my wife, Becky, got it. She wasn't really sick at all, didn't notice um, she had a headache, but she always has a headache, so <laughs> probably has something to do with me. <laughs> um, my son Ryan got it, you know, we're all fine, you know, and what, what a blessing. You know, sometimes we're in a trial and we're so quick to label it. You know, and this, this girl, and I, I loved her, and she, she dumped me, and it's so terrible. Well, 10 years from now, you might be like, dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> You know, and in, in a storm, we can't necessarily see things accurately. And I wish I got that promotion or that job and, and it was bad. Well, I'm not so sure. We know. And so don't be quick to label things in the storms of chaos. Um, I, I've shared this before, but this just really helps me understand 
things so well. So I'll share it again. Sorry if, if this is bores some of you, but um, there's a story about a farmer who was very poor, and he only had one horse, right? And uh, his horse ran off. And so the neighbor came over to the farmer and says, bad luck about the horse. And the farmer said, what do I know of these things? Well, the, the horse came back with 12 wild horses, and now the poor farmer, this is years ago, is now wealthy. He has 13 horses, and the neighbor came, comes over and says, man, good thing about the horse, lucky thing. And the farmer says, what do I know of these things? Well, the farmer's only son was trying to break one of those wild stallions, and it bucked him off, trampled him, broke his leg, nearly killed him, and the neighbor came over and says, bad, bad luck about the horse. And the farmer says, what do I know of these things? Well, then a band of roving rebels came through, and they were conscripting any able-bodied young man to join their, their fight and forcing that. But when they came to the farmer's son, he had a broken leg, so they didn't want him and left him. And the neighbor came over and said, man, good luck, good luck about the horse breaking your son's leg. And the farmer says, what do I know of these things? And, and I think this perfectly demonstrates our lives so often we mislabel. We say, that was so good, and it turns out not to be good at all. And that was so bad, and it turns out that was a storm sent by God and one of the best things that could have happened in your life. In fact, uh, he says, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. And this is what wavy faith is, believing God enough to follow him beyond what we think is reasonable. And that's what, what Peter does. He's like, Jesus, you're out on the water. If that's you, let me. In fact, he shows maybe faith right there. He's like, I'm not sure it's you. I'm not sure I should get out and try walking on this water either. So I'm going to ask a maybe faith question. And depending on your answer, I'm going to come out or not. And um, Jesus answers. And he says, come. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Just an amazing story of faith. Here's the thing. Believing God beyond what seems reasonable, if you follow Jesus Christ, somebody, if not everybody, but somebody at least, is going to think you're crazy. Okay. In fact, if nobody ever thinks you're crazy you're probably not feeling following Jesus. Now, if everybody thinks you're crazy all the time, you're just crazy, okay? But if some of the time, somebody, here's an example. There's a woman in our church who got, has accepted Christ within the last year, and she's been coming for a few months, and uh, she is just trying to share this. She was trying to share this with her sister, just, you know, how how she talks to God now, how she reads the Bible, how she's going to church, how God is real to her, how it's exciting, and how much joy she has. And she's trying to tell her sister this, and the sister just looked at her and said, like, what? what? You're crazy. We don't talk about God outside of church. You, know, you go to church once or twice a year, and that's that. Like, I don't want to hear this God stuff. This is, you, you've gone crazy, Right? And you know what, that, that's, that's faith. Because Jesus did not do normal things. <laughs> right? He was different. And we need to be different as well. And so fo following Jesus can be seen 
That's a little bit crazy. And Peter wasn't just crazy, crazy. He was crazy about Jesus, right? And if Jesus is out on the lake, I want to be with Jesus, and I want to go out on the lake. And if Jesus, I want to do what Jesus is doing, and I want to follow Jesus. And if Jesus is walking on water, I want to walk on water. And if Jesus is going that way, I want to go that way. Peter was just crazy about Jesus, and we need to be crazy about Jesus as well. Um, God isn't calling us to be reckless for no reason. He's calling us to be reckless in our pursuit of him. You know, what I just told you at the beginning about these Korean Christians, uh, he said before the Korean War, 1% of Korea was Christian. Now if you look it up, and obviously a lot of these people are Christian, ethnically Christian in name only, but the majority of Korea now is Christian. And, and if you were to say to a friend at work, hey, I got this idea from pastor, I want to just go through the Bible and hand copy the entire Bible in my own hand. What would they say? You're crazy. You're crazy. You know, and I'm not saying we should do that. Maybe, maybe you should. You know, um, I, I actually haven't hand copied the Bible, but read a chapter of the Bible a day and wrote down something from every, from every part and have a couple notebooks of that. You know, just spending, and I've gone back occasionally and read stuff, and I'm like, man, I forgot all about that. That's, man, I should, I, I don't know if I'm as far along as I was <laughs> when, I, when I read this, but just, and here's something C.S. Lewis said about, about courage. He said, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at its testing point. So if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to have faith, that's a virtue, it will take courage at its testing point. You will need courage. If you want to love others, you will need courage. At its testing point, it will take courage. And on and on. Um, One thing before I, I, there's a couple points I want to close with, but um, before I get to that, have you ever felt like you're behind in life? I've had people tell me that. You know, I thought I'd be farther along by now. I thought I'd own my own business. I thought I'd be, um, talked to a man last night, and he's like, I came to Christ, accepted him as my savior, and I've spent most of the last seven years walking away from God, and I feel like I'm behind. I've lost seven years of my life to my own selfishness. If you feel like you're behind, just just remember this story. Jesus gave the disciples an eight-hour start and a boat, (laughs) and he caught up to them just like that. If you are obeying God, right now. You're exactly where God wants you right now. You're not behind. You don't have to worry about that. Moses was 80 years old. Moses had accomplished almost nothing until after he was 80 years old. It took him that long to prepare him. You know, and, and, and so God, you're, you're not behind. Uh, just, just follow him. So la- last two things just want to talk about. Wavy faith believes God can do something new through me, right? All all this is new. Uh, There's no story in the Bible before this of anyone walking on water. Closest thing to it is Elisha makes this poor man's borrowed axe, iron axe head float that he lost in a river. 
And uh, so that's the closest thing. This had never been done. All the miracles in the Bible of, of turning the water into blood or, or parting the Red Sea or raising dead people to life, no one had ever walked on water. God wanted to do a new thing. Maybe God wants to do something new in your life as well. You know, maybe no one you know has, has ever adopted Maybe God wants you to adopt or be a foster parent. Maybe no one in your family has ever volunteered in a church, and God wants you to volunteer. Maybe, maybe you don't know anybody in your family who's ever become a pastor, and God wants you to become a pastor. Maybe God wants you to do something new. Maybe you need to be the first person in your family to go to college. Maybe you need to be the first person in your family to not go to college. Honestly, I think that's a better track more and more. Seriously. But to do something new, to trust God at 51% is, God, is this what you want me to do? And to go down that road, even if it's an untried, untested, unfamiliar road with adversity, with, with headwinds, wavy faith, believes God can do something new through me. And then um, exposure to wavy faith is going to ruin your excuses. Here's the crazy thing about the scene that day. This boat was full of disciples. There's 12 of them in the boat. And only one asked if they could come out onto the water. And here's something I hadn't thought of before talking this through and working this through with the other pastors. Jesus' invitation was not, come, Peter. Jesus' invitation was open-ended. It was just, come. And 11 men didn't. Now, if I was one of the other disciples... I guarantee you, I would not have walked on the water. I would have had all sorts of reasons why I didn't, right? I would, I would say, well, um, first off, Jesus can walk on water because he's Jesus, okay? <laughs> I'm not Jesus, you're not Jesus. Let's not, you know, root, number two, the Bible says don't test God. This really feels like a testing God moment here. So I don't want to test God. I'm just going to sit in the boat. You test God. Go ahead. I don't think this is a good idea. I'd probably try to talk Peter out of it. Peter, don't. You know, and I'd have all these reasons, right? I'd say, well, you know, we are to, to risk things for God, but, you know, what's the point of this? Nobody's going to get saved. This, doesn't, this isn't about, you know, helping other people. This is just some daredevil thing. Like, this, the, the whole motivation is wrong, Peter. Like, this, like... I'd have all these reasons, and they would have all been wrong. And for the rest of my life, and I think for the rest of their lives, John was one of the guys on the boat. He lived another 60-some years, the youngest of Jesus' followers, the last one to die, the only one not martyred. John, for the next 60-some years, I bet when there were times where he was not sure about taking a risk and stepping out in faith to do something, I wonder how many times he thought, I loved Peter's spectacular failure better than my reasons for not to even try. You know, I'm looking out and we have people that go to Liberia. Why? You have family in Liberia? Yeah, spiritual family, family of God. People who do crazy things. People who get their head ripped open in Liberia. She's hiding it with a do-rag. But they're not do-rags when women wear them. I don't know what they're, they're very beautiful. Nice. 
Peggy, yeah, style. It's trendsetter. Everybody's going to be wearing them. But crazy things, you know, I, I would rather have, like, try something like that and fail trying to follow Jesus out in the ways than, than to sit back and regret for the rest of my life. Man, I could have been one of the only people in the history of the world to walk on water with Jesus. And you think if all those disciples had walked on water and then they all took their eyes off Jesus, do you think he would have let them drown? No. He would have saved all 12 of them, even Judas. And so what, what does God want you to do? What is that maybe faith we talked about yesterday that you think, well, maybe God wants me to talk to, no, I'm not good at talking. Maybe God wants me to take this jump. Ah, just do it. If you're 51% sure, just take your next step. These people getting baptized, they, they were more than 51% sure. This is what God wants me to do. The Bible says that they believed and then they were baptized. It doesn't say they were baptized as an infant, then grew up, and 20 years later, they believed and trusted in Christ. It says they believed and were baptized. And even in Acts, they have a bunch of men who were baptized by John the Baptist. Right? And John the Baptist's baptism was pretty good because he baptized Jesus. So it's not like he did, a, he did it wrong. Because <laughs> if it's good enough for Jesus, good enough for... But these men, they were baptized already. But they hadn't accepted Jesus as their Savior. And after they accepted Jesus as their Savior, after they personally made that choice, not their mom or dad, not, not somebody else for them, not their pastor or priest, after they personally accepted Christ as their Savior, they said, we need to get baptized. We need to publicly show other people that I'm following Jesus Christ. Well, no one in my family has ever done that before. It would be a new thing. Well, maybe wavy faith wants God to do something new through you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I don't know what storms, I know some of the storms that people here are facing, but most of them I don't know. But you do. And God, I just thank you that you are so in control that uh, these storms not only did not take you by surprise, but you sent us into these storms in our lives on purpose. And they're not comfortable, and they're not fun. But God, I just pray that you would start something in us in these storms. And God, may this congregation leave. May this not be a message just for one Peter here today. But God, may all of us leave. And what would this community be like if we just all step out in faith and want to go where Jesus is and be like Jesus and imitate him and, and follow you into the wildness of an adventure of faith. God, help us to do that. Help us to help others along in that journey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.